Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. So glad that you could join us today. We have a very special guest, somebody who's very family name is synonymous with environmental protection and environmental education. We're joined by Philippe Cousteau. Of course, he is the grandson of the legendary Jacques Cousteau, and his father, Philippe Cousteau Sr., was quite a force in bringing the family name to every living room in America and around the world. Philippe and his sister Alexandra have started an organization called Earth Echo International, and it's truly bringing this Cousteau family legacy into the 21st century. And not only does it offer some tremendous programs and great outreach and education opportunities for those who visit the website, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, it also provides something that is so 21st century, and that's a way for everybody out there who's looking at their material to interact with it and share their own stories. And so as we walk through this um, organization and all of the wonderful things that they have to offer, don't close this tab in your web browser as you listen to us on voiceamerica.com, but open a new tab in your web browser and follow along on Philippe's website, which is www.earthecho.org. Well, Philippe, welcome to Go Green Radio. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, I just really love what I'm seeing on your website, Earth Echo International, and there's so many environmental nonprofits out there. Tell us and share with our listeners what makes your organization so unique. Well, you know, Earth Echo is really focused on youth and youth education and empowering young people with resources and knowledge so that they can take action in their communities to improve the health of what my grandfather called our water planet. And when we founded Earth Echo about five years ago, uh, we really did a lot of work to look at the landscape of what was out there, what existed. And our focus has, uh, has always been on young people uh, as a response to the fact that there, there are some great organizations working on youth education and environmental education, um, but we certainly saw a niche um, for an organization that really focuses on water, which is you know the single most precious substance on the planet, and how we could create resources both uh, um, for young people to do programs in their communities, but then also a program that we just launched, uh, which is about citizen journalism and how to help young people understand that they have a voice and that they have power and give them the the, the knowledge to go out and and recognize that voice and to to recognize that power in their communities and in the world. Uh, Citizen journalism through the technology, certainly we're seeing that in, uh, uh, as events unfold in Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, is, is a powerful force. 
that exists because everybody's carrying around, most everybody these days is carrying around a, a, a camera and in many cases a video camera in their pockets on their cell phones. So it's, it's really an organization that's dedicated to leveraging the newest technologies that exist to engage people in dialogue, to help people become storytellers themselves, to take action. We have a saying at Earth Echo that it's not that you can make a difference, it's that everything you do makes a difference. And our focus is really on helping people understand uh, their connection to the environment and how they can do something to make the world a better place for all of us. Well, and what do you think it is about your organization that will actually draw the youth in? You know, it's tough to get teenagers' attention. What is it specifically about your organization that you think will draw them in? Well, you know, it, it is difficult, and uh, it's really about marketing and storytelling and getting out there. I do uh, a lot of different on top of, of my work running Earth Echo, I am the chief spokesperson for environmental education for Discovery Education, which is an arm of Discovery Communications, like Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, uh, uh, Planet Green, etc. Mm-hmm. And that is Discovery's commitment to education. Uh, as part of that, we're in six, over 60% of U.S. schools and the number one distributor of broadband education content uh, wow. into the classrooms across the country. So what we did was, you know, education is a very difficult space. It's a very complicated uh, uh, industry in this country. And rather than just being optimistic and idealistic about, you know, if we build it, they will come, Mm -hmm. we did a lot of due diligence on building critical partnerships and looking at what are the organizations out there that have distribution, like Discovery Education. It it helped that I'm also a chief uh, correspondent uh, for, for Animal Planet, uh, I've done documentaries for Discovery, hosted documentaries for Discovery and BBC, and have a you know have a four-year relationship with Discovery Networks and Communications um, to have built a relationship with uh, with Discovery Education. But um, we looked at at what is you know an unparalleled distribution network and get out into the schools and in front of young people across the country. And then we also recognize that we have to deal in education and certainly formal education, i.e., in classrooms, that we have to do it in a smart way that helps education process helps teachers do their job. And so we provide resources through another program we launched last year called Water Planet Challenge that is both standards-aligned scientific uh, classroom materials for middle and high school students that uh, that is tied in through Discovery Education, and we have video clips and all standards-aligned materials so that it helps teachers do their job. It doesn't provide more for them to do. And then we also provide the resources and tools for students to take action through what we call what, what is known as service learning. Now, the, the reality is that uh, most students now in, in many states across the country are required to conduct a certain amount of service to graduate from school. A uh, right. certain amount of hours. I, I believe here in the district, I'm in Washington, D.C. currently, in the District of Columbia, it's 110 hours over the life of their, their four years in high school. Uh, in other states, it, it varies from 50 to 60, 70, 80 hours. And what we did uh, in, in, in extensive discussions, and I travel across the country, I've given uh, talks last year alone to up to 200,000 uh, K-12 students uh, throughout the United States and uh, in 11 other countries. Um, so we talk to a lot of young people, and they're hungry for environment. They're hungry to get engaged. They, they in many cases, have to do something, uh, and they want to do something with the environment. It's one of the top three most requested service opportunities in the country, and um, and providing those uh, those resources and tools is, is what we do. Well, and you do a great job of it. I mean, it's when your grandfather was making the documentaries that he was doing, it was 
much easier in some respects to get that kind of market share. You know, there were only three network uh, television stations. Exactly, and you know, yeah. If you got on one of those, you were good to go. Now it's a lot harder. <laughs> and so. And if the president was on, then I tell you, and you were on the channel that was, then, 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 then there was only one thing. You know, there was two things. Right. To watch. So it was, you had right. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, for you to capture 60% of the educational market share is no small feat. Well, I want to talk about your stream program because I am really, really excited about this. This idea of citizen journal- journalism is, you know, of course, we're seeing it play out in some very um, remarkable ways in what's going on in the revolution in Egypt. But I think that same kind of revolution of, of service learning, as you mentioned, the same kind of revolution in education, outreach, and connecting uh, kids who may never meet face-to-face, something that's possible through a program like STREAM. So won't you share that with our listeners, please? Well, STREAM, of course. You know, STREAM stands for Students Reporting Environmental Action um, Through Media. And, you know, the, the goal of the program is to help give voice to so many young people out there who are frustrated by what they're seeing in their communities, frustrated by the fact that, uh, you know, pollution and, and environmental degradation, which is not just a, a you know, a, a, an abstract idea, but is affecting many of these kids in very serious ways. I, I travel uh, to schools across the country, as I said. I see kids that suffer from asthma so bad, they can't go outside and play sports. And that's largely an outdoor air pollution problem. That's, a, that's a, another consequence of our addiction to fossil fuels that a lot of people don't talk about, um, but is one that, that young people are, are, are facing. The fact that uh, we have you know very poor food system in this country for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people mostly eat junk food and, and don't have access. And some communities literally don't even have access, if they want it, to fresh fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, so food is an environmental issue. So kids are exposed to the environment when, certainly this summer, the program really came from the frustration that we sensed from students as I spent most of my summer covering the Gulf oil spill for various different news networks uh, from uh, doing the uh, – we, we, we put together the first dive ever into the oil spill with uh, ABC's Good Morning America. Um, we then I, I spent you know most of the summer covering that story, but spending a lot of time in communities in Alabama and Louisiana and Florida – Mississippi, and what we found was this overwhelming frustration on the part of young people that they were just told, because if they were under 18, to just sit back, there's nothing you can do, you're too young to volunteer, or too young to work with BP, or do any of the cleanups, or anything like that, so um, just sit down and shut up. And the the frustration at not having a voice, and not you know seeing their communities collapse, and the suffering that was going on in their families, and, and, and friends, and people in the region, and really not being able to do anything about it. Uh, and so that our response was, uh, was stream, was realizing, wow, you know, at, at the end of the day, my grandfather was not a professional journalist. My father was not a professional journalist. I am not a professional journalist. Uh, we're storytellers. Mm-hmm. And in essence, that's being a citizen journalist. And that we uh, could work with young people, uh, certainly across the Gulf. We launched the program in New Orleans in December. We had students from uh, Alabama and, and Louisiana uh, participate in a two-day training workshop about what it is to be a citizen journalist. Then we had um, the website will go live, uh, a sub-website of our website will go live in a, in a, in a couple weeks, and we're inviting young people across the country uh, to participate in, in monthly webinars. Um, we're going to be uh, looking at, at providing opportunities for, uh, for, for, for students to potentially win scholarships, um, to get engaged in journalism, 
we uh, uh, will provide a platform and a space for students to share their stories, and we have partnerships with leading cable and uh, television and print broadcaster and, and uh, publishers to uh, actually feature their stories in the news um, so that it's not just uh, an intellectual exercise, but we're really actually working with young people, listening to their stories and getting them out there uh, right. in, in the popular public space. So, so we're very excited about Stream. It's a, it's a huge part of, 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 of our legacy of what we do and, and, and our commitment to sharing that legacy with millions of, of young people, essentially the next generation. Well, and I, I can only imagine how many kids you're going to inspire to, whether they make it a profession or not, to make it a regular habit of sharing their concerns with others through 21st century media. How do you plan to measure the success of Stream? I mean, what's going to make you at some point say, yeah, we nailed it. We knocked it out of the park with this program. This was a success. Well, you know, the goal, you know, as you pointed out earlier, it's, it's a challenge to cut through all the noise that exists out there in the world today. Um, we, we've got an amazingly enthusiastic response. And really, our success, measure of success, is getting more and more young people engaged. Uh, and, and as you said, this is not necessarily a, a feeder program for future journalists. Um, this is really about helping young people understand that they have a voice and they can be part of the, the dialogue uh, on the world stage and have an influence um, pretty easily. And some, you know, many kids are, are excited about this opportunity. And so for us, success is, is growing the program, getting more and more kids engaged, more and more kids writing, posting video um, that is uh, of high quality. And uh, it's going, it's a long, we, you know, this is a long-term program. This is not a, a whim. This is not, uh, we didn't engage in this lightly. Um, and we are, uh, uh, we're expanding the program across the country. As I said, we started in New Orleans. We'll be doing a big event um, down in, uh, in New Orleans for the, for the one-year anniversary of the oil spill. And then we're looking, looking at uh, other key markets across the country, like the Great Lakes, uh, down in Florida, here, of course, in, in, around uh, Washington, D.C. And, and the Chesapeake Bay region, and out on the West Coast. And then also being able to provide, um, uh, this is a always running a nonprofit, it's always a funding issue and a sponsor issue, things like that. But we're very excited to uh, hopefully be able to launch in the next few years this program in, uh, uh, in Spanish uh, and be able wow. to train uh, other communities um, to be a part of this dialogue. Because uh, I think traditionally, and this is somewhat of an indictment of the environmental movement, um, there has not been enough diversity in, uh, in, in the movement. And uh, we're we're seeking to to change that as well. Agreed, agreed. Well, and let me put a bug in your ear, Philippe. I mean, I, I, just beyond being the host of Go Green Radio, um, I'm the founder of the Go Green Initiative, and we happen to have schools uh, operating in all 50 U.S. states. So, if you uh, ever need a hand getting into some of the communities um, that are around the U.S. who are already predisposed to going green and love these kinds of opportunities, I would venture to say that uh, Go Green Initiative schools would make a great place for you to, uh, to launch in any market share that you may be looking to, to reach. Tell us a little bit. Uh, we're well, I, I, I just want to say, A, thank you, and B, be careful what you wish for. Uh, we're going to get our team on, on top of that right away. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all about building partnerships. And, Jill, I'll tell you, it's, uh, um, we love that. So thank you. We, we would definitely 
uh, be, be, be following up with you for that. Well, that sounds great, Philippe. And I'll tell you, we're also in 39 countries. And what you said about uh, diversity and, and entry points to folks who speak something other than English is something we've been working on for quite some time. In fact, in addition to our Spanish-speaking friends, we have a lot of schools that are operating in Mexico and South America. But we've also... Uh, starting in 2007, started working in China. And I'll tell you, if you translate your material into Spanish, Mandarin, and English, you can reach a good part of the world. But uh, we'd love to work you, with you. You certainly, certainly can. And China is, uh, is definitely a place we need to be reaching with these, with these issues. It's a uh, it's, it's a, well, it's a and they're remarkably open to it. I mean, we've had some great success. Some of my favorite schools to visit are in Shanghai and Beijing, and we've really had some some fun working with them as well. So, uh, just just for future thought, put that on your to do list. I know it's very long, but uh, we're going to be taking a break in a couple of minutes. But before we do, I want you to introduce the Water Planet Challenge because this is another super cool program that you're running. Well, you know that that's uh, it is. We're 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 very excited. I, I mentioned a brief water planet challenge again, playing off that term of uh, of water planet because we do live on a water planet. I oftentimes when I speak to schools, I ask kids, you know, what color is the planet from space, and uh, and they all raise their hands. They're like blue, and I'm like, well, there's a reason for that. And, <laughs> uh, you know, we we do live on a water planet, and while you know a few summers ago, and oil's also still you know heading back in that direction, but when it was you know, hundred plus dollars a, a barrel um, for uh, for for oil. It was uh, uh, people were screaming murder uh, at the at how you know difficult that is on on the global economy and 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 how difficult that is to live in a world with expensive oil. Uh, of course, we can live without a gallon of gasoline, but we cannot live without water. And it isn't that is the increasing uh, scarce commodity. And in fact, over a billion people around the world today live without enough fresh water. And a recent report here in the United States showed that uh, more than 20% of the municipal water uh, quality, water uh, supplies in the United States fall below Clean Drinking Water Act standards. So it's not just in other countries that people don't have access to clean water. In many cases, we may not know it here, but, uh, but water is, um, is, is, is increasingly fragile, uh, scarce, and polluted. And like I said, we can live without a gallon of gasoline. We cannot live without a gallon uh, or, or any amount of water. Uh, and so, you know, playing off that theme of water planet and the importance of that as a precious substance, one could argue the most precious substance that uh, uh, we really are working on a, to, to help young people understand the connections in their lives with, with protecting the environment and water. And to that point, we launched the Water Planet Challenge at the Clinton Global Initiative uh, two years ago. Well, we announced it about two years ago and launched it uh, just this fall. And it's a program sponsored by Toyota Foundation, which uh, through an incredibly generous uh, donation and sponsorship, we uh, were providing resources into schools that, as I said earlier, give teachers standards-aligned, science-based content to use in the classroom Easy to use, powered by Discovery Education, which is a very trusted brand, uh, the leading trusted brand in, in broadband-based uh, education in the country. Um, so they know it. It's easy to use. It helps them do their job. Uh, so we provide those resources and tools free for educators to use in middle and high school. And then we provide what we call action guides, which are service learning guidebooks, essentially, 
that walk young people through how would you do a program in your community, say an energy efficiency um, program in your school or in your home that can right. both save energy and save money. How and could Philippe, you do, and we, we've, got yeah. to, we've got to take a quick commercial break, course, and we, I want to follow that line of thinking because I really love the specificity that the Water Planet Challenge goes into, and I want you to talk more about that because I think a lot of our audience members who are involved in education, whether they're teachers or parents, We'll want to know more about that, and we'll want to check it out today. Folks, we're going to take a quick, quick commercial break, but we'll be right back with more from Philippe Cousteau and Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Tolvanta Energy, visit us today at www.tolvantaenergy.com. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you could all join us. I've got to give a big shout-out to my tweets. Those of you who are following us on Twitter and sending me tweets as we speak, you guys are awesome. I love having you join us every week. If you are just tuning in, we have a very special guest this week, Philippe Cousteau, who is the son of Philippe Cousteau Sr. and the grandson of Jacques Cousteau, household name synonymous with environmental protection, um, with ocean awareness and water awareness, and that's what this show is about. But Really, I think that Philippe has got something special going on. He's launched Earth Echo International with his sister, Alexandra. Got to check out their website. It's earthecho.org. And what's neat about it is it's not just one of those websites where there's a lot of great information. It's truly a website where you can interact and engage with them um, and tell your story. They tell great stories, naturally. Um, But you have great stories as well. And there's several different ways that you can 
get on his website and interact with the stories that he's telling, tell your own stories, and it's a really 21st century cool way of getting engaged with environmental protection and environmental education. Speaking of which, right before we went to break, Philippe was talking about a program that I just know teachers and students across the country are going to love. It's Water Planet Challenge. And, Philippe, I had to cut you off as we went to commercial, but tell us more in specificity about the lesson plans and the resources that you have that are ready to go right into the classroom today. Well, thank you, Jill. It's, uh, um, as I was saying, it, it, you know, it's a program, the Water Planet Challenge, that, that looks at uh, uh, helping young people uh, have the tools and the knowledge to get engaged in their communities to improve the health of the environment. And uh, it's a program that we announced at the Clinton Global Initiative two years ago, and we just launched a few months ago. And uh, basically what we do is provide two different types of resources. One is lesson plans for teachers, because we really want to help educators have outstanding, the highest quality tools so that they can engage young people in science-based learning uh, around the environment. And so these tools are standards-aligned. They're developed in partnership with Discovery Education. And by standards-aligned, I mean it's easy for educators to use. It's uh, not more work for them, but it really helps them teach what they're already required to teach in the classroom. And it's available free for middle and high school uh, educators across the country and via the Internet anywhere in the world. And so those and what are uh, is the challenge? Uh, classroom-based what? resources. Yeah. What is the challenge? What are you asking uh, your audience to do with that information? Well, the, the, the challenge is the second part of the, of the program, which is actually where we provide what we call action guides. And it's all about service learning. Uh, service learning is a, a more in-depth way of, of engaging young people in, in, in service, of which many kids across the country and most states actually have a requirement to conduct service to graduate from high school and, in some cases, middle school. And in some states, in some districts, even elementary schools, they have to do hours of service, a certain amount of hours to even graduate. So what we do is we're challenging young people by giving them these action guides that walk them through the steps of how would I engage in doing an energy efficiency program in my school or in my home that would save us money. I know some school districts that are saving millions of dollars every year by just engaging simply in energy efficiency in their schools. They could save us money and also go towards my requirement of conducting service hours. Or how can I do a water efficiency or water quality program? How do I organize a cleanup? For the one, more more uh, action guides we'll be developing are all about how would I uh, maybe grow a garden if I'm interested in that in my school or in a home, a natural garden that can uh, save money, uh, is more environmentally friendly, keep, holds water in space, and is healthier for us. Certainly we're dealing with the a big problem with uh, with unhealthy meals uh, for students across the country. And uh, so those are the types of programs that we provide, uh, simple guides that walk kids through how do they go through a critical thinking process to actually engage in doing something in their community, whether they have to because of their service requirements, again, which millions of young people have across the country now, uh, or whether they want to, which a lot of kids also want to do something positive. And it's not even just for school. We, um, we've talked to a lot of uh, girl, girl and Boy Scouts and after-school programs uh, that want to engage or, or require to engage in, in service. Um, so these tools are available for all of them, and we'll actually be launching a whole new round of content um, coming up here in a couple weeks. 
Well, you know what I think the, the secret sauce here is, and what's so wise about your approach, is that for many years, and actually this is what prompted me to write the Go Green Initiative back in 2002, is that environmental education, as my children were getting it in school, was all about giving them information and then hoping that they would take that information and do something with it, but not really giving them any guidance. And I felt like that was a big mistake because, um, you know, exactly. really, you could tell a kid all day long about the importance of brushing your teeth and dental hygiene and, you know, why you've got to get the plaque off your teeth. But if you don't teach them how to brush <laughs> and you don't right. clean over them, you know, you can't be sure that they'll, you know, have clean teeth. And, and I think that that's true with everything we want children to learn and children to know, and especially when it comes to the environment taking action is critical. And so I think that component of your program is really what's going to make it so powerful and so influential over the long haul. I really do. Well, Joe, I appreciate that. I think you're right. You know, I, I talked to, as I said, just last year alone, I made presentations to up, up to about 200,000 kids across the country, in every state and in several other countries. And, you know, the reality is kids are hungry to take action, but they're not always hungry to take the kind of action that adults want them to take, them to take. <laughs> so true. They don't always, you know, share the, the, the same values of this or at least the same, the same goals. Um, and when we looked at the landscape of what kind of resources were out there for, to engage in service, they were pretty narrow, pretty limited. I think very much uh, what, what organizations think are important. And so our goal is to, we listen, we have feedback from young people. We see what, what kinds of resources do you want? And it's really ultimately uh, going to be a vast database of all sorts of different kinds of programs, some that we come up with, some that they want us to develop for them, some that teachers, we get feedback from teachers. Um, you know, of course, it's a funding issue, but as we, as we grow the program um, and continue to raise funds to do that and provide more resources, we really want to allow kids to have such a vast selection of things that they can be really youth-directed service. And they can say, hey, this is what I'm interested in. Um, this is what I'm interested in. How how can I engage in a in a really meaningful critical thinking process to go through and develop a program around that? As opposed to saying, young man, young lady, this is what I think is important, and this is what I think you should do. Um, that just doesn't work. No, it doesn't. I mean, I have three teenagers. <laughs> it does not work <laughs> at all. Now, speaking of teenagers, you have a book out um, called Going Blue, and it's really directed at teens. And I, I'm very excited about it. I'd love for you to share more about it because I think that a lot of a lot of parents would like to provide their kids with information, but not that's overly academic or stodgy or boring. And this might be a book that parents who want to maybe introduce some environmental topics to their kids um, or suggest, you know, maybe as a little you know stocking stuffer or you know birthday present or something, might really like what you've developed here in Going Blue. Tell us about the book, would you? Well, I'm very excited about this book. Going Blue is a, is a youth guide for service learning uh, to help protect the environment, our water specifically, but water, oceans, coasts, streams, marshes. You don't have to live on the coast or even near a big body of water to interact with it. And it's a guide that I, I w had the privilege of working with my co-author, Kathy Berger Kay, on um, through uh, Free Spirit Publishing that uh, has already won uh, several awards um, and is uh, we're very very excited about it. It's a fun book. It has all sorts of exercises and tools and knowledge and information uh, and stories in it uh, about other young people doing amazing things. Uh, and it's fun. And uh, you know, I don't like to work on anything that I wouldn't want to engage in and want to do. Um, and and reading through the book is easy, 
interesting, even for adults. I, I give it as a gift to adults all the time, and they, they read it from cover to cover, and like, wow. Uh, so it's, um, it's not a stodgy academic uh, um, book about how do you do environmental chores. Uh, it's really about saying, hey, what, what are you interested in? What are you concerned about? A lot of kids are recognizing with things like the Gulf oil spill that there's some major problems out there, and unfortunately, they're the ones that are going to have to clean it up. I'll share a story with you. I was uh, giving a talk at an elementary school in late June, right towards the end of the school year last year. Uh, of course, the Deepwater Horizon disaster in the Gulf was, was in full swing. I believe I was speaking at a school in Tennessee, so not even on the Gulf. And I remember asking the kids, uh, who, who, who's going to have to clean this up? Who's going to be stuck with, with the bill on this one? And they all raised their hands. These are elementary school students. And it still makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. And they all, to a, to a, to a little, little girl and little boy, said, we will. Mm. They know that the consequences of what we're doing are ones that they're going to have to pay for. Mm. And uh, uh, I think a lot of them aren't, aren't very happy about it to get stuck with the bill for a party that they didn't even throw. Yep. So it's, uh, um, you know, this is a tool and going blue and the water planet challenge and stream. It's a way for kids to say, you know what? Uh, I, I, things have got to change. I won't accept the status quo. And I'm not just going to sit back. I'm going to do something about it. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's very difficult. And, and on Go Green Radio, we talk about water quite a bit and the things that affect water. And for a lot of Americans, it is, incomprehensible that there's a global water crisis going on. We turn on the tap, we have clean water, you know. Even in our toilets, there's clean water. And and it's hard to get Americans engaged even just to find out what's going on, let alone to take action um, to preserve and, and conserve clean water and this precious resource that, as you mentioned, we can't do without. I mean, it's over 75% of the ingredients of our own bodies. Um, how do you engage people? How do you get people who have clean tap water whenever they want it to care? Well, one of the things, and, and one of the things that shocks a lot of people now is, uh, is, is that a lot of people in this country actually don't, as I know you know, Jill, don't have access to clean water. They, uh, over 20% of the municipal water supplies in this, in this country have been shown to be below the quality uh, called for in the, in the safe um, uh, Clean Water Drinking Act. And so, uh, you know, it's a challenge, of course, to help people understand uh, and get them engaged when we do take these things for granted. But increasingly, I think people are starting to realize that uh, water and the environment is something that has a direct impact on their life. As I said, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I see kids that suffer from asthma so badly they can't go outside uh, and play sports. Uh, largely uh, because of the, the, the degree of outdoor air pollution. One of the fastest-growing clubs in, in, uh, uh, in several cities in this country, school clubs, are the asthma clubs. Mm. We've seen the rates of childhood asthma rise 160% uh, in children under five since 1980. So it's, uh, uh, believe me, the young people are being impacted. And for us, it's about finding the entry point where they already are and what they're already interested in. Right. We've done a lot of groups, uh, group gatherings with young people and ask them their concerns. And they're not always voiced the same exact way. They're always talked about the same way. But there's certainly, I think, one of the challenges environmental groups do is we talk about these uh, these kind of abstract ideas like marshes and wetlands and the importance of coral reefs and all these kinds of things, as opposed to talking 
the kids where they are. Talk to them about food, about transportation, about their clothes, about how they live their lives, about the daily things that they interact with and may care about, electronics, whatever it is. And then link those back to some of these bigger environmental issues. And so we, we try and look for entry points that kids can relate to as opposed to talking about these big abstract ideas. I think that's um, incredibly smart. And that, that seems to work pretty well. Yeah, I, I can imagine that it does. And I think that that's, I think the same is true for, you know, any message on an environmental subject. Um, you know, you have different stakeholders in the community. And if you're trying to reach parents, there are certain entry points. And that's what my organization has done. Um, the Go Green Initiative was kind of based upon this idea that those adults who care about the future of their children or the children that they teach um, can take action now to, to preserve and to create a better future for the children that are under their, under their wing. And so I think that, that that's a very smart approach. And, and the way that you listen to the students, and I think it's very clever and very, very smart for you to have them sending you their stories and sending you um, their videos and their blogs and what have you, because that's, that's perfect market research. That's how you know we're, we're reaching or we're not. And I think that's really, really smart. You know, Philippe, it's not every day that our listeners get to hear from someone with your family background. And so if you don't mind, I'd love to get a little bit personal, um, just because I think that, you know, while your organization is super interesting, and I want everybody to get out on earthecho.org, but I think that there's some mystique around your family that our listeners might enjoy hearing a little bit more. I mean, your family name is synonymous with environmental protection, and it has to be kind of a weight on your shoulders, I mean, to carry on that family legacy. Um, was there ever a time when you felt like, well, maybe I'll go into something else, or was it just a foregone conclusion, I'm going to be an environmental activist? Well, you know, I, when I was little, I wanted to be a fireman. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as I got older and, and got to go on expeditions and trips myself and 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 see the amazing, wondrous stories that exist around the world. Uh, the idea of, of being a storyteller and, and hopefully being able to engage people and excite them about the world around them and how we can all be part of the solution. Uh, I, I I wouldn't do anything else. I think I have the best job in the world. I mean, you know, one day I'm speaking to a you know a, a conference of, uh, of adults or students. Uh, the next day, I'm able to do something like this, work in media, radio or film, uh, I'm working with uh, CNN or do a documentary, you know, the following discovery. I'm going to be uh, in late March, uh, early April, headed out on an expedition to the Arctic, uh, you know, and then I'm, I'm working on uh, several business opportunities and projects and, and things on how to create, you know, sustainable development um, and buildings in the built space and destinations and so I get to work on so many different things, and really it all comes from, sometimes it seems like I'm doing a lot of different things and a little bit all over the place, but really it comes from being inspired by my father and grandfather. And what they did, they recognized that you have to be in a lot of places. In a noisy world, uh, people learn in different ways, and you have to be in a lot of places um, with a consistent message and brand and story to break through. Uh, and that's what they did. They were on television, they did media, they did radio, they did books, they did all sorts of education programs in schools, and that's really what we're, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, uh, and that's really what we've learned uh, looking back at history. I actually have a degree in history, so it's a big part of my life, um, is uh, is learning from the past and learning from what they did, and, and so that's why I, would, I do books, and we do media and radio and television, uh, education programs in schools, 
a lot of internet-based work now with new media. I know my grandfather would have loved all the cool doodads and, and gadgets that existed in cell phones. I mean, he couldn't even have imagined that, uh, you know, 50 years ago when they were on the Calypso in the middle of the Pacific, they could communicate once a week by, you know, telegram or telex. Now, I can answer questions from the Arctic. I can answer student questions from the Arctic and, and blog live, uh, virtually live, from the Arctic Circle or from the coast of Mozambique when I was shooting a documentary series uh, for BBC and Discovery a few years ago. Uh, it's an amazing world out there, and uh, it's increasingly global, uh, and that is, brings good things and bad things, and we're just really trying to focus on the, on the good, good parts. Well, speaking of 50 years ago when your father and grandfather were on the Calypso, think about 50 years from now. You know, What do you hope you see? Um, how do you hope the world will be different or better as a direct result of your work? I mean, what is it that ultimately would thrill you if at, at a ripe old age you could look out on the landscape of the, of the globe and say, wow, things are better? What would that look like? Well, I think one of the challenges, I know one of the challenges we face today is population. We estimate that the world will have 9 billion people by the middle of this century and potentially 11 billion by the end of this century. But that is about the middle of the road uh, um, estimate. It could be higher, it could be lower. And my goal is for certainly people in the United States um, as still the the most powerful country in the world to understand that we have a responsibility uh, to look outward increasingly uh, and for young people to recognize that they're not just the leaders of tomorrow, they're the leaders of today and to increasingly get involved and get engaged. And I think the good news is that we're having this discussion. Um, you know, we're really focusing on young people, not only because that's great, they, they, they get older, you know, may, may change their behavior as adults, but I have a friend who, um, um, uh, is involved in, 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 in Latin America, in supermarkets and in, in markets, just stores that does all sorts of things. Family. And um, he was telling me a story one day, he says, why do you think we put the cookies on the lower shelves? We don't, we don't market the cookies to the adults. We market the cookies to the kids because yep. then they get the adults to do it. We, um, you know, uh, uh, seatbelts, smoking cessation, targeted young people. So we know that focusing on young people now has an effect now as well as in the future. So we're looking 50 years down the road. I really want people to be engaged, uh, young people to be engaged and recognize we have to look outside this country. We have to recognize our responsibility to be leaders. We have to recognize that the resources that we have, the values in many cases we have to build these bigger and bigger houses to have more and more stuff um, just isn't reasonable and isn't, isn't sustainable for the simple reason that there isn't enough stuff out there to support everybody to live the way that many of us take for granted. And that just to understand and be prepared, I think that's all I can hope for is to understand and be prepared for that eventuality and, and look ahead and plan for it. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Western developed countries represent, you know, a little over a billion people really uh, of the market in the world. And the Brazil, Russia, India, and China alone are 2.8 billion people um, who are rapidly gaining the financial uh, and, and in some cases, military uh, uh, ability to consume the way that we do. Yep. Um, and there's just not enough stuff to do it like that. Boy, so, I, could, I could talk you know, with you all day really about the BRIC countries, and you're exactly right. Um, you know, that's something that a lot of Americans are not even taking into consideration 
when we think about the consumption curves and, and what, you know, what the next 10 to 15 years are going to look like in terms of natural resource scarcity as a result of that. You know, we've just got a minute or so before we say goodbye to you, Philippe. Um, I know that a lot of our listeners are going to get out on earthecho.org, and they're going to want to help, and they're going to want to get involved. What are the top two or three things that you wish for? What's your wish list for our listeners to help you accomplish your mission and to get involved? Well, you know, as I said, uh, we have a saying at Earth Echo that it's not that you can make a difference. And I love I love going to schools and so I stand up in front of school, uh, classes and, and, and assemblies and things like that, and I say, how many of you ever heard the saying, you can make a difference? And a bunch of the kids raise their hands, and um, usually, actually, all of them do. And then I turn and I say, well, it's not true. And I love the look on the face of the teachers in the back of the room because they're like, what? Wait, wait a second. That's not right. He's not, he's not supposed to. What? And they're confused for a moment. Because what I say is, it's not that you can make a difference. It's that everything you do makes a difference. And that's ultimately um, what I want everybody to remember and understand, is that all of our choices have consequences. And that means different things for each of us. Um, you know, I, I try and live my life, uh, you know, uh, cut, cutting down uh, constantly on, on meat, on, you know, fast food, junk foods. I haven't had fast food in a dozen years. I use public transportation. I don't even own a car. I live in a... In a, in a small apartment here in Washington, D.C. I mean, I find ways that I try and remember that and constantly improve my lifestyle um, to be sensitive to the environment and, and to the social justice issues that we face. And the one thing that I hope people will remember is, is that we do have, have a consequences for our actions. We do make a difference every single day in our choices. And to, to reevaluate constantly, even things maybe we take for granted or, or done every day, the chemical products we use in our home, the kinds of food that we eat, the clothes we buy, whatever it may be, and thinking differently about understanding that, um, that everything has a price and a consequence. And, and the other thing with respect to our programs, I certainly invite everybody, uh, certainly if you have young people, uh, and we all are, somehow have nieces, nephews, uh, friends, kids, whatever it may be, there are great resources and a growing library of resources on our website uh, and encourage them to, to check them out, uh, especially the one that's coming in a couple weeks about energy efficiency in a difficult economy. It's a great way to save money and to help the environment. Simple things you can do around your home. We'll have a great tool that you can actually use to track your energy usage very easily and actually automatically with your utilities um, to see how well you're doing and see what kind of savings you're having every month to month. So we're launching some very exciting things, and um, they're not just as I said, for young people, but uh, they're targeted there. But uh, everybody can participate and learn something and get engaged and make the world a better place. Well, thank you, Philippe. Thank you for all that you and your family do um, to make this world a better place. And I'm hoping that every one of our listeners will right now today check out earthecho.org and get involved. There's just so much great information and great ways to interface with Philippe on the website, so check it out. Philippe, thank you for joining us on Go Green Radio. Folks, we are going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. That was a fantastic conversation. One of one of my favorites, an instant classic, talking with Philippe Cousteau. If you're just joining us and you are bummed as all get out that you missed the interview, no worries, because we are also on the Green Living Network for Voice America. If you go to voiceamerica.com and click on the Green Living button, you will find that this show will repeat next Tuesday, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Everybody in between, do your own math. You can do it. Um, and so maybe you want to recommend this show to your friends. Maybe you did listen to the whole interview. Well, that's where they can do it. You can also download the archived podcasts of any Go Green Radio episode and take it with you on your podcast device, whether it's an iPhone or iPod, whatever you've got, and you can listen to us anytime. You know, the Cousteau family name is synonymous with oceans and water, and they've done so much um, to bring awareness to water issues. And I think that's one of the challenges that we have right now in America because a lot of us, um, you know, our water awareness goes to, well, maybe my tap water, I'm a little concerned, so I'll just buy bottled water. But, of course, there are some consequences to that as well. And there's a lot of websites and a lot of resources that I'm putting out constantly on my Twitter feed. So if you want to check that out, I, every day I check about 20 of the leading media outlets um, in the world, everything from the New York Times, the BBC, NPR, AP, all of those, Reuters, 
And I'm tweeting articles about these issues, whether it's about climate change or water quality or water shortages. And some of the websites and some of the stories that I'm tweeting um, will really give you some insight. And for a lot of Americans, I know it seems kind of crazy to think about a global water crisis, that there really could be an actual shortage of water. I mean, as Philippe mentioned, we are a blue planet. We are made of water. But the problem is not so much water, it's clean water, both from uh, salty water in the ocean. Um, it's very, very energy intensive to clean that, to desalinate it, to make it drinkable. And then our fresh waterways um, are getting polluted. And that's from everything from you know toxic chemicals and pesticides that run off of our agriculture lands to even urban runoff. And this is something that we've only touched the tip of the iceberg with as we talk about water issues with Go Green Radio. You know, we've talked about urbanization. We've even talked about urban gardening and things like that. But one of the challenges as we see this global urbanization process where the projections show that over 50% of the Earth's population in the next few decades will live in urban environments, urban planners now, students who are studying urban planning, one of the things they're going to need to address is urban runoff. When it rains in the city, where does that water go? And more importantly, what is being added to the water as it runs down the storm drains? You know, is it a little bit of oil from cars on the street? Is it something, you know, we're putting in the, the grass or fertilizers for our lawns? All of these things are relatively unstudied, and we don't have a lot of technology to remove those toxins from our water supply. I mean, the way that it works is that all of this runs down into a storm drain, and there are about 53,000 different municipal water systems in the United States. And these are water treatment plants um, that treat our water for, by and large, solid waste. I mean, that's kind of what they were built to do. And we haven't spent a, a great deal of money on our water infrastructure in the past couple of decades to up the technology to deal with some of these toxic chemicals that are now in our water supply. So a lot of folks are pushing the panic button and they're, you know, buying bottled water and things like that. Well, the fact is a lot of that bottled water isn't even tested. Um, the Food and Drug Administration is tasked with overseeing the safety of bottled water, but um, as some of you know from some of our previous conversations on Go Green, water, or Go Green Radio, there's only one person um, right now who's in charge of bottled water regulation here in the United States, at least our tap water through our municipal waterways, they're tested. Um, you know, bottled water isn't as highly regulated. So you can't be sure that just because you buy uh, water that looks clean in a plastic, petroleum-based container, that it's going to be exactly what you want. So there's a lot of things that we need to consider and a lot of uh, potential show topics that will be coming up um, to deal with water quality. But one of the biggest issues, and we have talked about this on Go Green Radio, is not uh, factories polluting into rivers. It's actually what we're putting into our water supply, whether that's pharmaceuticals, um, things we're flushing down the toilet, things we're washing down the drain, or even throwing into our garbage cans. Um, as we know, some of our landfills in our local communities are kind of old. They don't have uh, the latest technology in terms of the underlayment and the seal underneath the landfill, and some of those toxic chemicals can seep down into our water um, into the aquifers from which we draw our fresh water. 
And, uh, and right now we just don't have the technology to deal with that. Uh, there's new legislation that's just been introduced into the Senate um, by Senator Barbara Boxer just recently um, to deal with the clean drinking water issues and all the news items that we're seeing. Um, she's introducing some legislation that just I just saw the announcement yesterday. So it's something to follow and something to be concerned about because certainly, um, you know, <laughs> as we mentioned, water is something that we cannot live without and we need clean water and we can all play our part in keeping it clean. Well, folks, we are going to be back same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. In fact, our guest next week is an author of a book that is just beautifully written. Uh, her name is Osprey Lake. She's written a book called Uprisings from the Earth, and it's, um, it's going to be a great conversation, so I know you'll want to tune into that. Until then, have a wonderful week. Check us out on gogreeninitiative.org uh, if you want to learn more about our nonprofit organization. Until then, have a great week, and go green. Thanks again for listening. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.